Welcome to the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. We are back with another Dubcast. And I look, here's the deal. Okay. When you're in the off season, sometimes you got to generate a little content, but sometimes people get really, they get pissy about like, ah, oh, it's the, it must be the off season. <laughs> it's hilarious. That's the comment I'm going to post. But sometimes these are conversations that we have on the site that need to be had on or during the off season, you you would not have these conversations. You want to talk about these things unless the off season is around because you'd be focused so much on like the now that you wouldn't look at the larger picture. And so I'm glad that we have the off season to talk about, you know, questions that we wouldn't normally bring up because otherwise maybe we wouldn't. So anyway, I want to call you out a little bit, Andy Vance, because last week we had the barbershop, the 11 Warriors barbershop it was a lot of fun, a lot of discussion, a lot of, you know, good commentary and everybody's talking about the question is how much is a Michigan win worth? And is there anything that you would trade it for? So the, the general idea here was, is like, would you trade, for example, a Clemson victory for a Michigan loss? Right. And there was a nice big discussion about it and everybody got back and forth. And eventually it came to like, you know, discussions about national championships and all that good stuff. I want to tell you something, Andy, I, I go through this thing and I'm like, what does Andy Vance think about this? <laughs> and I see a lot of, Interesting comments from you, but I don't know that I actually see you take a position on this point. And so I posit this to you on this Sunday evening. What would you do? Would you take a Michigan loss in exchange for a win in the college football playoff against, let's say, Clemson? So I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you exactly how this went down. So my gut reaction to the question was was not only, and, and let's set this back up. So I think most of us in the barbershop kind of took the approach that the trade-off was lose to Michigan um, in exchange for a win over Clemson, which the implied rest of that sentence was in the college football playoff. So we're not talking about random non-conference game. I mean, we're talking about pretty much for all the marbles. I think some of us took the extra step. um, and, And as the conversation went on, we went into, you know, beating Clemson to win the natty, which I think is an even you know, higher stakes than just beating them in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, but, but my gut reaction was honestly, not only no, but hell no. Um, <laughs> and, and I, and I led with, and I've said this to you on the show before, like I hate Clemson with the fiery burning passion of 10,000 sons. And at the same time, my gut reaction as a born and bred son of the Buckeye state who grew up during the John Cooper era is that I want uh, nothing good for Michigan and everything bad. And if we beat them every game until the dawn of time, um, from now until the end of time, that's what we should all be hoping for. As the conversation went on, some of our, our fellow staffers in the barber shop made some persuasive arguments that, you know, really in the grand scheme of things, what's <laughs> more important? And do you really want to be so capricious about laying off of a national title. And I, and I will have to say that I am, I am torn. The, the part of me in my heart of hearts that set this up, um, you know, the way I did with my gut reaction, like, do you go with your head or do you go with your heart? My yeah. heart was kind of, I, I was with Ramsey Nasrallah on this, like, no, 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 because <laughs> you want to overtake Michigan in that all time wins column. That's within reach. It's a thing that will happen in our lifetimes. Yeah. And you don't let off the throttle. You put your you put your boot on the neck and 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 go for the kill here, even if it means <laughs> walking away from the natty. And I should also say, in fairness, like we really didn't delve into some of the you know there are people in the comments who I think fairly raised the point that if you lose to Michigan in the last game of the regular season, there's a pretty good chance you're not getting in the playoff. Yeah, um, but so, that's not so, what hypotheticals are for. We can't, we right. can't get too deep in the weeds yeah, on all the logistics. And that's what I say to Mr. Commenter, who was, you know, like, this is, you know, boy, really stretching for offseason content kind of guy. Like, we didn't, we purposefully made the question is, would you rather? Right. You know, it's black or white. Would you rather? So, yeah. I wasn't intentionally still, waffling. What is the, the question. Well, again, Andy, Andy, what is the, what is your answer? Like that's, what is your final answer on this? F Michigan, man. <laughs> All right. Okay. And fair well, enough. But see, let me, okay. Let me back up because. All right. Here, see, I'm still, I'm still struggling with this because here's why. <laughs> and I said this during the barbershop and I think it bears repeating. Like part of the reason that I was willing to be so capricious about beating Clemson 
is twofold. One, um, when when we were going into the Sugar Bowl versus Alabama, you know, Alabama was is what I think of as a worthy foe. Like I respect Alabama. I respect Nick Saban. They've done it and done it and done it. Like that was the 800 pound gorilla. You know, that was it. It was when you beat Alabama winning, winning against Oregon that year after that was almost a foregone conclusion because you'd already slayed the dragon, right? Sure. Clemson. I feel like when Dabo goes to Tuscaloosa after Nick Saban toddles off into retirement or has a heart attack in the middle of the practice field or whatever's going to happen to him. And Dabo goes back home when mama calls. I don't think Clemson is relevant after that, I, I think Clemson goes back to being a backwater ACC team and a footnote in history mm-hmm. where, you know, Alabama will continue to be Alabama. And so, so I think part of me is like, I don't, although Clemson is, is four and oh, and it pains me to say that. And I hate Dombo because I think he's the fakest, most hypocritical slack jawed yokel half wit snake oil salesman in cfp right now i i i, I just with all that like said gotta be a guy who's a bigger half wit snake oil salesman oh man i can't stand i can't he's pretty stand high up that. there but i don't know that he's the the top tier <sighs> like that, that whole fake preacher act you know like little yeah, old clemson yeah. i mean i just and i and i know i know our, our brother dan hope like uh you know hates it every time i bring it up i just can't he, he is the biggest villain in college football to me. And so that's why this is such a hard question for me, because the one little shoulders like Dabo's the devil crush him, you know, he boo, boo, hiss, hiss. On the other hand, it's like the 30 some years of my life as an Ohioan, it's right. the game, the game, the game. Okay. Man, that's tough. <laughs> and that's why I asked, because I think it's a really interesting question. And look, you're only a couple years older than I am. Yeah. We both grew up in the same time period. We both experienced the same, you know, things regarding the Michigan game. Like, that's all in my memory as well, the 1990s. Like, I, I remember all of that crap. And for me, so, like, if you're telling me that, like, you don't have a, a guarantee of a national championship right and maybe you're just you're just beating clemson in the first round of the college football playoff and you've got to exchange it for a michigan loss i can see why someone would have some trepidation about that and not actually gonna you know pull the trigger on saying okay fine i'll take that deal i understand that but if you can guarantee me a national championship victory over any team frankly i didn't know right it could be i mean it could be bowling green i don't care if you can guarantee ohio state a national championship victory i will take that in exchange for a michigan loss pretty much every single time and i saw commenters i saw people saying like i would rather i would rather go one and 11 with one win against michigan than you know 13 and one in a national championship but lose to michigan i'm like that's insane like that is crazy talk that it, and I get it. Like you hate Michigan and you're a big time hardcore high state fan. That's great. I support you. But that to me is madness. And again, I say this is someone whose formative years were in the 1990s yep. with John Cooper and going, yep. you know, two thirteen one or whatever it was against Michigan. Um, and, and two things I want to say about that. First of all, I don't care about the all-time record against Michigan. I don't, it, it does not matter to me wins or losses and a rivalry before the invention of like Howard Light <laughs> isn't something I care too much about. If penicillin wasn't a thing before the game took place, I don't care. And so if Michigan fans want to hang on to like, you know, yeah, Woodrow Wilson really supported the, the Wolverines that year. I don't, I don't give a crap. Fine. Do that. that. That's a perfectly Michigan man thing to do. And it's not something that bothers me at all. Um, so that's not something that motivates me. The second thing is, is like, and I thought about this a lot. What motivates Ohio State fans? Is it victories against Michigan or losses to Michigan? Ooh. And I think that's really what is driving some of the, the answers that I saw, especially in the comments and maybe from people who wouldn't take that deal, which is I, like, this is, I think, the internal thought process. I would much rather not have to deal with a Michigan loss then enjoy the outcome of a national football championship. And that's what's really funny to me. And it, it, that is the most perfectly Ohioan Midwestern attitude to take about something. Yeah. Like I just hedging against life. And it's it's hilarious to me because, yeah, losing to Michigan sucks. It really sucks. I know how badly it sucks. I grew up with it. 
but national championships are forever. And I want to tell you some last point, Andy, and I, I want to hear what you have to say about this. I don't remember anything about any of the Michigan games from basically 2008 until Urban Meyer took over. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you a single thing that happened in any of those games. Seriously. Like, I have no idea. You know, I mean, obviously they lost in 2011. I have no idea what happened in those later Rich Rod years besides a banner that was really funny. And somebody mentioned online to me that, like, a punter was a jerk during the uh, band playing. Like, that's it. And that's the only thing I can remember about that. So, like, what's the, like, if, if that's how strongly it's in my memory, why wouldn't I make that choice? Why wouldn't I take that deal? And that's, and that's when I started to, you know, really kind of switch to the head over the heart as the, as the conversation went on uh, among the staff you know, a couple people posed similar questions like what, what do you remember more, you know, winning that national championship in, in 2014, 15, or, you know, and insert random Michigan game here. And and it's like, you know, but well, you're not com- random I, I, Michigan game, Andy, what do you remember more? The 2014 national championship victory, the 2014 uh, sugar bowl victory against Alabama or that Michigan game that year. Yeah, my, my which, comments. Which of those three games do you remember? And and put them in order of priority. Yeah, hundred percent. The, the, the Sugar Bowl game, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly. that's number one, exactly. and it, it's far and away eclipses the rest of them. That's right. Um, I mean, that to me is maybe the other than the other than the win over Miami and the the national title um, game in the Trestle era. I mean, like that that may be the best game of football I've watched as an Ohio State fan in my lifetime. I mean, that sure. was just. You know that was poetry in motion. Pick your sports cliche here. Yeah, right, right, for sure. So, and when as you were talking about like games you you really remember or don't remember in the Michigan series, I mean, I'm, I'm like, when's the last really good, like really truly good Michigan? Game? We talked about the, um, you know, number one versus number two game quite a bit. Was that 06? Am I am I, am I got my years game. right? Yeah, I mean, so we've talked about that one on the show a couple of different times, you know, and so it's like the Trestle era, um, Michigan games. There were some good ones in there, and then like since that, it's just kind of been you know, wet sneeze. Uh, I, I think, I think you're, you said something really deep a minute ago that we get into social science here in, in psychology. The fear of loss is a far stronger motivator than, than the opportunity for reward. Right. So you, you look at um, kind of all of the psychological literature, you know, people are, are far more likely. That's why when you look at um, some of the apps out there, there was one I saw a few years ago, where you basically bet on yourself, you know, you want to lose weight and you basically bet, okay, I'm going to put a hundred dollars in here. And if I don't lose my 20 pounds or whatever it is, I lose the hundred bucks. But if I make it, then I split the pot with everybody else that's in there, you know? So the, the fear of losing a hundred bucks is a pretty powerful motivator. Right. Uh, and so that's what you're talking about, right? Like people don't want to do, and you see that in the comments of that barbershop uh, piece People saying like, oh, God, can you imagine how miserable and insufferable those worthless SOBs from that state up north would be? And there was somebody in the comments I, I was talking with, and a South Carolina Buckeye, something along like those lines. He's like, yeah, all you all talking about this, don't live where there are any Clemson fans. He's right. like, I know what it's like to live around <laughs> those miserable SOBs. That's you know? right. And, and, and so it's exactly what you're talking about. Like that that fear of loss is a, is a much bigger deal. I also think we take for granted um, Kevin Harris was, was um, pretty good about pointing this out, like, uh, or actually demonstrating this with his comments. I think we take for granted how easy it is to get into the playoff. I think oh, we sure, just sort yeah. of as Ohio state fans take it for granted that, well, we'll have another shot at that next year. Yeah. Just win the big 10. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal, which yeah, is not, hard. which by the way, is not borne out by the evidence. No, it's not. I mean, really not. I mean, how many times has Ohio state been in the playoff in the last five years? You know, it's not five. <laughs> right, exactly. It's literally not every year, but we kind of, I think, take that for granted where we act like, you know, l- lose to Michigan this one, like that one's not coming back next year. <laughs> right. And that's and that's the thing. Like, to me, it, it's, I, look, <laughs> as an Ohio State fan over the past two decades, I am very Michigan win rich, right? Like, I have a lot of those in my back pocket. I <laughs> I have enough karmic uh happiness i guess build up over the past two decades where if i have to exchange one of those for a you know marquee win against a premier opponent that will possibly even be a national championship win then i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that because to me it's not like i'm losing everything and i know again to people who grew up in the 1990s 
Uh, it feels like that because, oh, we're slipping back. But I just, I, I don't feel that way. And, um, you know, again, it, you know, if you told me that, hey, you're going to have to exchange like a national championship for like a decade of Michigan being, you know, awesome and kicking the crap out of Ohio State, I don't know that I would take that deal. I don't think I would. I, I think that would be a much more difficult thing to say. But one, one, yeah, screw that, man. I'm taking that every time. And by the way, I can't be claimed to be a purveyor of perfect takes because I will tell you that as of this uh, recording and then as the people listening to it, I will have a blistering hot take that I'm sure that will appear on the site that I'm sure pretty much nobody will agree with. So I understand what it's like not to have the popular opinion and it's, it's okay. It doesn't mean that you got to be right or wrong. This is what the off season is for. I enjoy it. I like this debate. I like having these discussions. I think it's fun. Yeah, this is, I mean, to me, this is perfect off-season fodder. What else are we going to be talking about? It's not like there's, you know, a boatload of uh, live sports happening. But but it also, you know, the other thing that came out of this discussion, I think is pretty important. The change, the change, pardon me, I about swallowed an ice cube there. The, the change in what really matters in college football, Jason Priestess made a pretty good point that, you know, college football, used to be a relatively regional sport, right? And so that's why when you go back to the historical bowl matchups, Big Ten versus Pac-10 and the Rose Bowl was such a big deal, right? It's, you know, it's the, the the hardy Midwest versus the right. high-flying, sunglasses-wearing people of the West Coast. You know, different thing. <clears throat> what we're dealing with now, it's a national sport, right? You're, you're looking at this national play the college football playoff has changed things so much. I think it was changing before that, but it's changed it so much. And God forbid, you know, when the when the playoff expands here inevitably in the next couple of years, it's even going to be more so. Right. Right. And that's and that, I don't know. That to me that's what's going to be interesting about the whole process is how people reckon with their fandom, you know, like what how they feel about their teams and whatnot. I mean, you know, the mission game in particular, right? If you look at the way it used to be when it was just the Rose Bowl and the Big Ten only sent one team to go play in that game, and you couldn't do it back-to-back years either. That was the whole deal. The Michigan game had this inertia because it was the last game of the season. Well, now Ohio State, if they're flying high and they win the Big Ten championship, they're guaranteed at least two games after the Michigan game. So to me, it's one of those things where it it does change how people reckon with it. And I think the younger you are, you have a different... Uh, viewpoint on this because there are college kids who <laughs> don't remember Michigan even being a significant rival mm. in Ohio State. So yeah, for sure. I, I mean, the- you you look. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the, look at this year's. I mean, this year's graduating class at Ohio State. How how many Michigan losses have there been in their lifetimes? Like two, and they only remember one. <laughs> yeah, and they only remember one. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, and I mean, you and I are uh, definitely, and, and we're on the younger end of that, you know, you go a few years deeper into Gen X, uh, and you know, then, then it's your much more balanced type thing, let alone the, the boomers and, and so on. But, uh, yeah, it's a different, it's a different thing. Uh, I'm looking forward by the way, to your hot take this week. Oh, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. If, if I'm, I'm still excited. on the site, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so that was fun. And again, we'll keep getting into these questions and these discussions as we go forward during the off season. But, uh, coming up next, we've got a very special guest and, and close friend of the program, uh, talk about some ventures that is going on and maybe how he's dealing with, uh, continued quarantine at home. So that should be fun. Our, our guest uh, in this episode of the Dubcast is a longtime friend of the program, uh, Coach Tom Ryan, head coach of the Ohio State University Wrestling Buckeyes. Coach, let's um, let's start. What we're, what we're going to talk about tonight is uh, you've got a book coming out this week that uh, listeners want to hear about. But before we get into the new book, let, let's start with a very big question. I'm sure it's on all our minds. So how how are you holding up now two months into stay-at-home quarantine, the longest off-season in, in history? How are things going at the Ryan house? Yeah, it's been 28 years uh, since I've had a break like this. <laughs> uh, and, you know, like probably most uh, marriages, uh, our significant other wants us back at work. Uh, we've been, you know, we're getting ready to move. So we're moving, we're downsizing, you know, all the kids are out. So, you know, we're empty nesters. So we're, it's been kind of a blessing from that standpoint, right? That, that I've got time to do things. I mean, I replaced a toilet, a sink. I mean, this is like uncharted waters for me. Uh, so, 
you know, it's it's been uh, it's been a busy. It's been it's been busy actually getting 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 ready, and then of course we're zooming a lot with recruits, um, and uh, obviously our team our team leaders. So it's been a challenge. You, know, you want to make a difference. You know, I think that you know any of us that uh, you know you're in a profession like this, you, you you miss your team, you miss your guys, and hopefully you know normalcy sets in here. You know, not n- not too long future. Well, and, and speaking of making a difference, I want to I want to tip the hat to you, you and and your captain, some of the other um, leaders on the team. I thought did uh, a really great thing early on in uh, the first days of of well, I think kind of the broader awareness of the pandemic in encouraging and and demonstrating good servant leadership, getting people to give blood um, and and signing up for that cause. I know there were quite a few folks on social media who answered the call to go and, and donate blood so that that my hat's off to you for that you mentioned um, recruiting and and keeping in touch with the guys so what what are you allowed as a coach to be and you know, what by the whether it be NCAA or university or conference rules around COVID-19 what are you allowed to be doing now and and how are things going in you know normal um, processes for this time of the year yeah so right now we're in an eight-hour week so eight hour week, none of our guys are in towns. So they're all, you know, they're all across the country, plenty of them in Ohio. But uh, so we're allowed eight hours. We've been doing some technique. Uh, Travell and Jay put together a couple of technique. Uh, uh, you know, we're watching different, different, different footage and the team comes on. We've done a lot of leadership stuff with them uh, by class. So we've, we've, you know, the guys are organized by incoming class. Uh, we've determined a leader in each class and they're kind of challenging, challenging each other. Uh, staying connected to each other. Uh, there's some running. There's a lot of guidelines right now in place, just how much training you can have them do without a coach on site, right? So Ohio State just does a really good job of, of being student-athlete friendly, uh, protecting them from, from being away from campus and maybe doing something uh, that's you know, they wouldn't have done if the coach was around. So, um, so there, there's a Strava app. It's a really good app that, you know, we expect them to hit, you know, 15 to 20 miles a week. We're watching their weight um, and we're watching their, their base level of conditioning. So those are really the two things that we can kind of have some control over right now. So one of the things that I've noticed, I mean, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher and we had to move everything online, like basically over a weekend uh, when this all started. And one of the things that we've really tried to look out for is things like mental health and whatnot. And I guess one of the questions that I had for you is what are some of the things that you're doing in terms of that to make sure that, you know, everybody stays mentally like on top of things, they're not getting too down They're you know, they're getting out and doing, you know, what's healthy for them. Yeah, that's a great question. And a great point. I mean, you know, I've never dealt with this before as a student athlete. Right? I'm dealing with it as a coach, but I've never been in a position where you're seven days away from realizing a, a dream, right? Some of these guys have been wrestling for 14, 15 years, uh, right. and then it's canceled, right? Before we have a, we have a, uh, a we, we, we have a sign in our wrestling room. It was a countdown. It said no regrets, and it had seven days on it. It got to the seven-day mark, and that was March 11th, March 18th the NCAAs are going to occur. So, you know, literally we're in the middle of practice on March 11th at 3.30. Uh, we're starting to tone down the intensive training about a week away from the Nationals. And we get a call uh, to our office, manager, uh, our office manager who comes in and says, look, it's over. I mean, it's, it's completely canceled. So you huddle the team together, you share this with them, and you just don't know, right, how people are going to react. So what we do is we, we obviously we stay in touch with them. We have Zoom calls. Um, where they're, where they're, uh, we, have, we have leadership, we have, we have some, we, we use an organization called Built to Lead, uh, which we use, uh, you know, bi, bi-monthly. Um, guys are getting, and we talk about it, or we talk about it. I think the thing that a lot of men do in general is we go dark, right? We just stop responding, we stop. If someone goes a day, if I text someone and they don't get back to me within a day, I have, we, 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 we don't stop until I call the parents, until I hear from them, right? So, we just, we just, uh, we're cognizant of it, right? I think that's step number one is what your, your point is a real point. Um, this is, this is, this is new. Uh, and, and we try to, you know, infuse, you know, we, we, we talked about the, um, the Stockdale paradox, right? Where, you know, the ones that, that, that excel in these situations and, and don't die of broken heart, right? Get depressed are the ones that have a perfect combination of optimism but realism 
look, we're not sure when, but we know it's going to happen. We just don't know when. Right. So it's a lot of communication. We have, you know, we have full medical staff, too, that if anybody needs anything. But a lot of times, the ones that need things, they don't tell anybody. Right? So, yeah. uh, so we're, uh, yeah, I think we're careful and very aware of it. That's a good segue into one to talk about. Your, your new book is coming out. Uh, pre-sale starts on this Sunday, the 17th. What you described there, um, that, that countdown, seven days and no regrets, and then having that kind of pulled out from under you is, is a form of suffering you didn't choose or, or what, um, what I've heard you refer to as unchosen suffering. You've been through a share of that in, in your life and your family's life. The title of the book is Chosen Suffering, and you talk about this a lot, about what it takes to become elite. So preview your new book, Tom Ryan, uh, Chosen Suffering, the subtitle Becoming Elite in Life and Leadership. Uh, give us an idea what we're going to look at when we pick up the new book. Yeah, so I would say, you know, it's kind of my journey, right? It's my journey from a from a kid to now and the lessons I've learned and the and the and and the things that, that I've seen or the people I've met uh that have that have that have excelled in life and what are the similarities, what are the traits and the premise of it, right? The basic the underlying premise is that those in suffering, uh going the extra mile, uh has has been uh something I've seen in everyone I've been around that's excelled so that could be or is it whether it's um it's just doing 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 the extra right so so you get a lot of parents you know, the question would be hey does my son have what it takes to make it at the next level right the answer is well how much is he willing to suffer right and it's just it's just a, like a a gritty word for love sacrifice how much is he willing to sacrifice how much love does he have for this so chosen suffering brought me to a to a, to a, a certain place um but there were things in my life uh, that happened that were unchosen that, that, you know, I say like chosen suffering, when you're uncomfortable and you're pushing further, that's like a really, it's, it's, it's an intense uh, pain. But what happened with uh, losing my son, it taught me uh, a deeper level of, well, first of all, it was, it was far more painful, but it caused me to stop and quiet the world and assess something I'd never assessed, which is, where is he? Death, you know, death of my son caused, uh, for the first time in my life, a why not being able to be answered. Why did my team lose? Why did I, why did, why did I lose? Why did this happen? Normally, you can point to something. In this scenario, the why could not be answered. And that's when the journey be- began of, of a journey, really a journey of, of logically, I think, pursuing whether God was real or not. And that's kind of the premise, the premise of the book and the lessons I've learned along the way. I want to, I want to, you mentioned the loss of your son, Teague, and I think Teague would be 20, 21 years old this year, um, but, but passed away uh, unexpectedly. Five-year-old son, I can't, imagine what you and your wife went through and losing a son, but there's, there's a part of the story I find just really uplifting. Um, number one, what um, kind of how you and your family have em- embraced that unchosen suffering and, and just the life that um, you all lead and, and the example you show. But there's also a story here involving um, your partnership with Ohio State University Medical Center and, uh, and the Heart and Lung Research Institute. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and how the, the loss of Teague is still um, paying it forward, so to speak, by, by your partnership with the Medical Center? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a dad anywhere in the country that I know, none of the people that I surround myself with that wouldn't gladly exchange their life for the life of their child, right? So it's, and, the, and, and you know, so the pain that, that we went through, um, I would say I was living in the light. I thought I was, life was going good. And then you have this tragedy and you're in this complete darkness. And I'm in a place now that is even more light than I was before we lost you. Um, and what happened with Ohio State, um, I was obviously, I was at Hofstra coaching when, when, when Teague passed. And he was five, no warning signs. We get here, and after about a year and a half, I met Dr. Ryan, who's the head of the Ross Heart Hospital. Dr. Ryan, his name's Thomas Ryan also, 
uh, much higher test scores than the one that's coaching the wrestling team. He's running the Ross Hart Hospital. We, we become friends. He was a wrestler from New York also. Um, we become friends, and he said, hey, let me introduce you to Dr. Moeller, Peter Moeller, the head of genetic, uh, genetics at, at, at Ohio State Research. So I meet Moeller and, and Doc Moeller, and, and they're like, hey, let's, maybe we can find out what happened to your son. So anyway, we get his, his blood, which was a, a miracle that, that the, the Suffolk County coroner had his blood. He said, Dr. Moeller's like, if we get the blood and we test it, there's a very slim chance it's still usable. We get, it'll be a good, a good uh, we, we can get any good DNA from it, but we'll try. He gets the blood. Wow, they had the blood. Test the blood. Wow, the blood was incredible. We got great DNA off it. Now there's like 10 million mice uh, being tested, and they found a gene that might be involved with SIDS. And I don't understand all of it, but I know, I know that, I know this. I know that my life has moved to a place where there is no chance. I don't believe in chance. I don't believe in a chance beginning of everything. I don't believe in chance meetings of people. Um, and basically, you know, Teague's life, which we all right, we all want our children to have contentment in the midst of leaving the place better than they found it. And Teague's life is doing that. Even though it was only five years, you know, his, his life is impacting lives of others through Ohio State, the medical center, uh, their genetics, uh, uh, their uh, genetics office with, with Moeller. So we're, we're just, um, you know, blessed and grateful that, listen, if he saves one other person's life, then, you know, nothing can bring us more joy than that at this point. You, you, you talked about, and, and all of that happened. I mean, there's a good 10 years. Um, if I, if I have my timeline right between when you lost your son and when you met Dr. Moeller, um, but in the book, you talk about how you and your family found peace and, and hope and kind of rediscovered joy after that, that darkest hour. How did, how, how were you able to come to that kind of place of, piece that you talk about in the book yeah i would say that you know i think this is a general rule for life i think this is true i think this is a fair statement in general that until something touches us personally we don't necessarily pay much attention to it right it has to touch us personally and the loss of a son touched me in a way that was far beyond any pain i ever experienced and i mean what what i did what i did in the midst of this Right. Some, sometimes, right, when we're in so much pain, so much heartache, we turn to all sorts of things, right? We have this empty space in us and we try to fill it with winning, maybe with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, with pornography. We try to fill this empty space that we all have when we're in the midst of a dark time with things that, quite frankly, will get us nowhere. And I had three children, uh, three other children that were living that wanted a normal life, uh, and they were, you know, they were obviously they were all young. And what I, what I basically did, because my, my second son, Jake, when we came back from the hospital uh, after Chief had passed, he met us at the car door. He was eight. We pulled in the driveway. He came running down and he said, you know, Dad, where is he? And I was 36 leading people and I, I didn't know where he was. I really didn't know. I just knew that, you know, I knew that dinner, dinner would be different, right, going forward, that they would, we would all have this emptiness in us, this, this, this this hole in our heart. And um, so what I did was, I mean, I explored where he was and what are the options of where he could be. And when we're in enough pain, and unfortunately it's pain more than anything, to stop the world and say, you know, let me try to make sense of all this. I came up with two options. One is chance and the other is God. Either we got to planet earth by chance, a random explosion or something some sort or we're the part we're, 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 we're made by a creator that loves us and i explored both i read a lot of books i listened to a lot of dvds i poured my life into it, it became my priceless uh isn't it amazing how priceless can switch so quickly the priceless no definition of priceless so precious its value can't be determined i mean my priceless the night before teague died was different than than, than the moment he died my priceless flipped. I had to figure out whether God was real or not. And I used an open mind and I studied and I, I read about people that were brilliant and what they found. And ultimately, uh, I had to make a choice. You know, and there were facts on, 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 on chance and there were facts on God. But ultimately, 
uh, I believe with every ounce of me. I would die for this, that there's a God that loves us and wants the best for us. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of the journey that I went on. One of the things that I think about a lot, because I mean, obviously that's an incredibly powerful story and, and the meaning behind it is just intense. But another thing that I think about when I hear that is, is Ohio State as kind of a, an organizing entity. There are so many people who have found um, help and connections and I guess service, I guess, is, is a good word um, through kind of like the, the community that that provides. And I just... I don't even know if I really have a question. I'm just floored when I hear these kind of stories about people making those kind of connections because I've heard them so many times from so many different people when they're going through something like that. And, you know, obviously faith, I mean, that's, that's bigger than anything else, but the fact that Ohio state's been able to help provide that is just, I think incredibly important and awesome. And I, I I don't know. I I love every bit of that story and what you were able to gain from it. I think it's incredible. Yeah, Ohio State's an amazing place. I mean, people care. They're all passionate. You know, even just within our department, you know, there's 36 sports. And everyone, what I, what I have felt at Ohio State is an incredible sense, no matter what area you're in, right, whether it was the genetics, genetics office or the Ross, the, the, the heart hospital, everyone has a sense of gratitude. They're grateful to be at a place uh, like Ohio State. And all my friends there, all the coaches I'm friend with, friends with, I mean, everyone, I mean, some of them started as high school coaches, right? Some of them started in small schools, you know, where the support wasn't nearly what it is now. And I think the general, I would say the general underlying theme when I think of Ohio State University, slash Ohio State, Ohio State Athletics, Ohio State Athletic Department, I think of, I think of pure love, like pure love, just people there that are grateful and have a complete love for what they're doing. And it's just a really fun place to work. The book is called Chosen Suffering. Uh, our, our guest is Coach Tom Ryan, head coach of the Ohio State University wrestling team, uh, one of the most successful coaches in college wrestling today. You can pre-order the book starting Sunday uh, at chosensuffering.com. And if you order during the pre-sale, Coach will actually sign the book, which uh, to me is more than worth the price of admission right there. And so chosensuffering.com is the website. All right, coach, last, last thing before we send you on your way. So what, what are you most looking forward to about the upcoming season? So I'm, I'm going to be super optimistic, uh, back to, back to the, um, Stockdale paradox. And even if I'm being realistic and saying, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's not having, um, fans in the stands at the, uh, Cavelli center. Maybe it's just 10 guys on the mat going against the other 10 guys. Uh, but what are you most looking forward to about the upcoming season because because we're getting to a point where it's not all that far away now as summer beckons so what's uh, what's on your radar for this this go round yeah i think this team has a tremendous amount of potential i think up and down the lineup we've got uh, you've got some new faces that can be a lot of fun to watch you know dylan d'amelio comes off of a red shirt year you've got uh, you know etcha mendy who's gonna be really interesting to watch his transition from freestyle to folk style. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, you've got the, 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 the uh, you know, the fan favorite Gary, who's got, uh, you know, another year, Gary Traub, and he'll be challenged, you know, by a, by a, um, you know, uh, a transfer, uh, Tate Orndorff. So this is going to be, a, it's going to be really competitive uh, in the room and uh, it's going to be a fun year, you know, seeing how we bring, bring these guys together. So we're yeah we're excited to get back again. It's been March. We've been see, you know, we've seen them on on um, on Zoom, but uh, you know I, I think I think what we, I'm, I'm hoping by what we see too is you know not that anyone ever took you know competition for granted, but I'm looking forward to seeing how you know when you're touched by something. This was this was painful for these guys. This was difficult. You know I think I've used the example of tragic. Uh, and difficult are different, but this was difficult uh, for a bunch of guys. And I'm looking forward to seeing the impact uh, that this has had on our on our guys. Now it's transformed them, and how they've worked on building their mass to be bigger than it was before we went into this scenario. So we're excited about the season. I mean, Cavelli was incredible, right? 
I mean, hopefully we can have fans, but that place was just incredible, as, as was the Jennings Center training in it. So, yeah, we can't wait to get back together and get back with the guys. Well, we're right there with you, Coach. Uh, thanks for coming on the Dubcast. Always a pleasure to to have you on. Look forward to getting the book next week. And uh, thank you for all you do in uh, bringing the sport to to the fans and to our audience. Appreciate all the support from you guys. You've made a difference, and we're grateful for it. Thanks again to Coach Ryan for coming on and sharing his story with us. Uh, that was really powerful and, and impactful. And I just, you know, it's always impresses me when I hear people who are not just eloquent, but like passionate when they come on and talk about that kind of stuff, it just blows me away. And I'm really glad we got the opportunity to have that discussion with them tonight. Um, as a reminder, the Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors. Or excuse me. Yeah. Dry goods store at 11 warriors, but it's at dry goods. Dot 11 warriors.com is the website. Uh, shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, we'll still get that out to you even in quarantine. It might just take a little bit longer than normal, but that's, you know, that's the world we live in, unfortunately. Uh, let's do a little ask us anything. You can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. That's D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com. Uh, or hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast on the Twitters. Uh, let's, we, let's, let's dive into this. We talked about a conversation at the top of the show. We're going to talk about another conversation here, I think at the bottom of the show. And this is an ask us anything question from Matt. Matt says, and I'll, I'll kind of summarize this question here, his comment, I guess. But he says, uh, he was watching a, a podcast or listening to a podcast rather. And they were talking about, um, Ohio state, uh, losing the 2006 national championship. So that was kind of what was going on. And he, he was always curious about some of the things that has been hinted at uh, surrounding the 2006 national championship and what all went down and whatnot. So he wants to know, is there any chance we get an unofficial oral history of the days leading up to the natty? Uh, how can I ask you this? I mean, I, I couldn't, I mean, I was a shoot. I was a, college senior at the time i didn't really have a whole lot of info right on these streets that i think i could give but have you heard the the rumblings all the rumors surrounding various things i feel like i feel like this is like this is one of those i don't know if you say urban legends but it's almost like a fish story to me that it's grown over the years the only thing i really remember is just remember everybody talking about um you know troy smith Right, uh, eats too much in and out, shows up five hundred pounds. Right, right, right. Like that's that's the part I remember about it. You know, the Heisman curse, or you know, being out on the tour, or whatever it is. I guess right. that's that's the only, you know, I guess controversy, so to speak. I remember thinking as a team that I thought you know was maybe one of the greatest teams I'd ever seen, and and I am on the record on this program multiple times of you know saying I have pledged undying loyalty to Jim Tressel. He, he, to me is just still the ideal of what a college football coach should be. Um, I love that man. And, and so watching his team, one of his better teams just get <laughs> outhoused by, you know, the evil, dirty, nasty Florida Gators and urban meyer that piece oh of i hated urban meyer hate 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 <laughs> like i you know that game i mean seriously that game so when people started talking about urban meyer as a candidate to be the next head football coach at ohio state like my gut visceral reaction was not that bastard oh, because yeah. of this particular game so so i don't know maybe we need a last dance type documentary <laughs> series about the days leading up to 41-14 and maybe here's here's what I'll say just real quick about that. I, I 2006, you know, it's there's definitely the internet 1.5, I guess, of of where we were at in terms of sports uh news and things like that. So I was definitely trolling all the message boards and and checking all the stuff out and listening all the rumors. The only thing that I can add to the in and out stuff, which I don't know how true that is or is I don't know I don't know anything about that. Uh there was a lot of other rumblings about dissent within the locker room, uh about guys who were thinking about the NFL and they're looking ahead to the draft and all this other stuff. But to me, all of those stories kind of seemed like, you know, 
postmortem type stuff where it's like, okay, well, why did this happen? Right. And, and yeah. it's not, it surely couldn't be because Ohio state got outclassed. Right. It, it's because the team did something stupid. And as a result, that's why they lost the game. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think there may be some credence to some dissent within the locker room, just based on some other things that I've heard since. But if you put a hundred people in a room, they're not all going to get along. It's not going to all be like shun, you know, sunshine and gumdrops. Like people are going to get mad at each other occasionally. So I, I don't well, know. It's, and here, here's the other thing, gang. Like I just want to say, like, is dissension in the locker room the reason you get by thirty, get beat by thirty points? That's right. Like, is, it, or, I mean, is, is that all it takes? Right. Or is it because your offensive line is slow and your opponent has really good defensive linemen who just run around your slow ass dudes and sack your quarterback 500 times? I think that might have more of an impact than anything else. Um, and, and, and look, that was, you know, we can bring up this dude again, Bill Connolly, mascot of the 11 Dubcast. Uh, we talked about him in the spread last week. They had a thing where they were talking about like the 25 most important games uh, in the evolution of the spread that, that came up. That was on ESPN, I think, either today or yesterday. And Ohio State, Florida didn't make that list, but I feel like it could have because Ohio State got annihilated by a game plan that they just had no response for whatsoever. Um, Florida was not going to give them what they wanted in that game at all which was to get into a traditional, like, let's, let's just see who's better and, and, you know, play the, the stadial kind of like, okay, this is, this is the offense. We know what's going to happen. We've got three sets that we run out of and that's, and we've got two plays from each set. Uh, that's not what Florida was all about. And uh, high state couldn't handle it. And that was it. And then the offensive line for high state got just creamed. Um, yeah, man, I, <laughs> It's an interesting discussion, and I would like to talk with someone who has a little bit more information about that, about the goings-on. But ultimately, High State could have been, you know, Troy Smith could have, Troy Smith could have been, like, uber-ripped, only been eating, like, you know, an all-protein diet or all, like, you know, super clean diet, never even touch a burger for three months leading up to that, uh, you know, there's nothing that Ohio State could have done, I think, to win that game because the the coaching staff of Florida just had Ohio state's number. And I, yeah, I, I mean, a 20 point second half, right? Like that's, I mean, that's the hole that Ohio state had to dig out of, you know, and the third, I mean, nothing happened in the third quarter of that game, you know, practically right. in, but, but Florida scored 20 points yeah. in the second quarter of that ball game. I mean, like, it's just, unbelievable. I mean, the harbinger, right. Was, it was Ted again, um, returning yeah. the opening kickoff for a touchdown and getting injured. Right in the end zone, like that's right. you know that There's, was kind of like that. You should have known at that point, like something is horribly wrong here. You know the fates have aligned and doom is coming. Uh, so I, I watched that game at the um, at the shot, and because they were they were you know showing it on like the the big screen you know above the court, and um, you know me and my roommate left at halftime because we're like, there's no way in hell. Like, this is it. Like, yeah, because you, you, you look at Ohio State's offense, you're like, this isn't happening. <laughs> there's nothing they could do. They weren't getting anything done. You're, I know you're down, you're down by 20 ball. points at the half. It's 34 to 14. Jim Bowman wasn't digging you out of that hole, gang. No, and, and there was a point, I think, early on where Trestle did, like, the super desperate fourth down uh, try, like, I think even the zone end or something like that. It's just like... It, it didn't work and you knew it wasn't going to work and that nothing was going to work. And I remember we just had the game on in the background in our dorm room and just sat there in silence the entire time. It was just awful. Like that was like the worst sports winter ever because then, you know, Florida wins the NCAA tournament that year. Oh yeah. Oh God. You know? So, I mean, it's the first time in history that the same two teams, same two schools, played four football and basketball championships the same years and and god i mean i just you would like I, mean, to I, I wasn't sure who i wanted to hit with a steel chair more urban meyer or billy donovan i mean like it just <laughs> you know there are two guys right. you just wanted to pummel that year and i don't have any hate in my heart for him now after you know urban's sure. okay you've sort of a turn for your sins and uh billy donovan you you've done your time in the salt mines it's fine whatever move on right but, man gosh i hated florida and of course that that also was the year that started the myth uh the mythical 
SEC can't be beat thing it in did. college football. You know, like it was all from then on. And it uh, didn't help that Ohio State turns around and was the LSU right after that. Right, exactly, <laughs> right. You know, narrative building begins. That's and right. here we I are, all these many years later, when, you know, you still have uh, the SEC and and it's, um, uh, you know, slightly rednecky East Coast cousin in Clemson. Um, I just feel like they need to adopt Clemson at some point and bring them in because that's a... Clemson doesn't want that. They don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that, to, to close this dubcast out, what I wouldn't give to trade the 2007 win against Michigan. <laughs> hey, for, wow. For win in the national championship. Wow. Talk about bringing this thing home, that's Johnny Lee Ginter. That's what that's what I'm saying. I would have been okay. I was at the 2006 game, the 1v2 game. It was the craziest, sickest game I've ever been to uh, that resulted in Ohio State win. Uh, I would trade it for beating Florida that year. Yes. Simple as that, period. Yes. So, anyway, that's that's God. where we're at. You're right. That's my thesis I... of the night. Um, now, and... that, now, see, but there's a, there's a legitimate case because this was before the advent of the Big Ten championship game. Ohio Correct. State wouldn't have played for the national championship that year if Michigan won that ball game. Well, some people were saying that they should have a rematch. Well, I don't game. disagree with that, and maybe they would have. Maybe they would have. Yeah. Uh, but but I think it's far more likely that it's Michigan versus Florida, which would have been worse actually. People, yeah. People forget. People forget. Like it wasn't just Ohio State that got completely creamed in their bowl game. It was also Michigan, who I yes. think played USC that year. Um, and got yeah, that's back when USC was actually good at football. That's right. And they got blown out. And then I actually had, I mean, that obviously happened for the national championship game. And I remember watching that game. I'm like, Hmm, this, this is interesting. <laughs> hey, spoiler alert. You know, like, um, I feel like we've gotten in the way back machine, not to turn this into a recruiting show all of a sudden, but I feel yeah. like we've gotten in the way back machine because don't look now, but Tennessee and USC are both in the top five of the class of 21 football team recruiting rankings at uh, 247.com, 247sports.com. I mean, like here's two programs you haven't heard of since the That's like nineties right. or the Jeremy uh, Pruitt's or, got this early thing around. And, and, and U- USC is doing some work. They got eight four-star kids in this class. Wow. There you go. Good for hey, them. No, no longer, no longer tied with like Northwestern and the recruiting I, ratings. I've, I've been saying for, you know, years, I mean, the, the, the song girls could recruit better than whatever, uh, whatever sorry piece of work they've got running recruiting in USC. Maybe they turned it over to the song girls because they're they bringing did. in, they're bringing in the recruits. What do you know? Well, good for them. Good and we will definitely continue to keep an eye on it. We'll, <laughs> Again, I will I will take my uh, my medicine. I think next week. Again, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm like really I'm excited. Nervous. I'm so nervous. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. And until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy, and we'll see you next time.